Welcome to the Atmosphere Church Podcast. On behalf of all of us here at Atmosphere, thank you for downloading or streaming this message. Regardless of what you believe, where you come from, or what questions you might have, you are welcome here. Our desire is to help lead you in experiencing God by following Jesus. If you want to find out more information about us, head over to our website at atmosphere.church. Enjoy the message. What's up, guys? Pastor Jim Cruz here, lead pastor of Atmosphere Church. The reason I'm doing this introduction like this is I have a treat for you. I have a guest speaker that I really want you to listen to and that is a really good friend of mine. He is a brother in Christ. He's been leading the Kalu Kingsman football team for the last 14 years. But as we have heard this last week, he let us know that he has a new chapter that is coming in his life. He's going to be moving to Texas like many Californians have done in the last year. Uh, But I want you to give a warm atmosphere welcome to my good friend, Ben McEnroe. I I don't know what I'm doing here, right? I I don't know where Jim got this idea that that I might be the guy to to come up here and, and get involved in this identity theft thing. But I do know this, that you know, having attended this church for a while, now a couple years, I do know that if you're from Bakersfield or the greater Kern County area, you do have some membership privileges. So uh, <laughs> myself, my wife, we're, we're from Bakersfield. We're, uh, we didn't know Jim and Tara when we were there, but we spent a lot of time telling old war stories about being from Bakersfield and various parts of Kern County. Uh, we're both from the 80s, so we're from the same genre. We, we both like to you know, rock a little bit back in the day. And uh, so I think that's really how I got here is because of Bakersfield. And when he's talking about, you know, oh, they made Bakersfield like Hawaii. I've been to both places. I spent a lot of time in both places and I find it utterly impossible. I, my mind cannot picture anything that compares the city of Bakersfield to the state of Hawaii, any island I've ever been to. So it must it was a good time, but I don't think it was that good a time. So anyway, um, you know, I, I feel like God does have a sense of humor, right? You look around in creation, there's some funny looking animals. And then you look at them and say, you know, that's a narwhal or a platypus or whatever. That's pretty funny. You know, God, God, God's got a sense of humor. Well, putting me up on this stage is also part of God's sense of humor. Because I've spent a lot of time in this banquet room, believe it or not. We bring people here, we raise a lot of money in this room. I've raised hundreds of thousands of dollars in this room. And You know, those people typically aren't filled with the spirit. They're filled with spirits, right? If you look right behind that curtain over there, you'll know what I'm talking about. And I just think it's it's funny the way God works and and puts us into these situations and says, I'm going to use you, right? I mean, he made a donkey talk in in the Bible. I mean, he put me up here, right? So as I prepared for this, you know, I, I was actually kind of excited when, when Jim asked me to get involved. I, that was before I knew the topic and what we were speaking about, and I'll tell that story. But, you know, my mindset in this thing can, can best be described by Isaiah 6, verse 68. Now, I've told every other service this, I'll be honest with you. Typically, when a book in the Bible has more than 30 verses or so, I struggle to get to verse 31. I'm like, 68 verses, right? But hey... Here we go, Isaiah 6, 68. This is a nugget, and, and I felt like the Lord was speaking this to me and best described where I'm at. Also, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, here am I, Lord, send me. That's my mindset today. Here am I, 
Use me. We've been tremendously blessed the last two services with uh, you know, just being able to pray and talk to people. So I, I feel like the Lord has used me. So let's pray. Let's kick this thing off. Heavenly Father, we, we thank you for this opportunity to be together, Lord. We thank you for late services and, and for sleepy Sunday mornings. And, and Lord, I just pray a blessing upon this group. Lord, I pray that you would use me. Here I am. Send me and, and use me accordingly. Speak your spirit and, and your word through me, Lord, and, and just pray that we would change lives and, and help people to, to overcome these, these tools of the devil. And we claim this victory in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Standing in front of a, a group of people, a congregation, this is not foreign to me, right? The setting's a little bit different. I, one of the great things about having church here, I like sitting on this side because I, I love to watch the, the thrill of victory and the agony of defeat as they come up on 18 right there. And, you know, some of the, the displays of emotion are, are just great. There's a lot of guys that need prayer down there um, from what I can see. But, you know, I, I'm used to being in a, in a little different setting. Right? I, I'm used to being in a locker room with a hundred, you know, sweaty, smelly knuckleheads, you know, 18 to 22 years old when I coach college football and, and, you know, 14 to 17 or 18 when I coach high school football. And, you know, so you guys are an upgrade, right? You're better looking, you are clean, you smell better. And so, you know, God has blessed. We're in a beautiful setting here. So it's a great opportunity to, to stand up with you and, and have an opportunity to share. But, you know, I, I do have a flock, too, that I tend to, right? And these kids, as I always refer to them, it doesn't matter how old they are. You know, some of these guys are in their 30s now. They're very successful in their, in their endeavors in the business world and uh, professional world. Uh, guys that have, you know, played in the NFL, played in, in Major League Baseball, guys that are lawyers, doctors, but they're also dads, they're fathers, right? And, and I've been blessed to have time with these guys and, and be a part of their formative years. But, you know, the, the, the beauty of a football locker room is just how different it is, right? How different every guy in that room is, okay? They, 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 they come from different family settings. Some guys come from families where mom and dad are married for 25, 30 years. Other guys don't know their dad or dad's locked up. Right? Or they're a ward of the state. The crack baby just got dumped off in, in South Central L.A. somewhere. I, I've coached those guys. I've loved those guys through that. We, we've got people of you know, all sorts of socioeconomic backgrounds, the richest of the rich, and kids that sleep in their car right, as they work their way through college. Um, you know, our, our ethnic and racial profile would fit every color of the human pigmentation scale you can imagine. Right? We, we've got guys that are in different places in life, guys that are 17 years old and their parents have to sign a waiver for them to play college football because they're not adults yet, all the way up to guys that are you know, 24, 25-year-old men with tattoos who slept in the dirt in Afghanistan and Iraq and they come back to play college football because it's the only place they can find that, that sense of family, that, that closeness. Right? And so that's what's amazing about a football team is that you take all these people that are so different with so many different backstories and we come together as a com for a common cause. Right? We don't always like each other. There's fights, practice. Right? You settle disagreements. We don't back talk and, and gossip and, and have these little catty issues. Right? They, they take things on head on. We fight in the coach's office. I mean, it's just how we act. 
right? But when those lights come on and that stadium's full and it's go time, right? That's my guy, right? I love that guy. We're one body and I don't want to let him down. And I'll tell you that, you know, that's a refreshing concept and that's something that our world needs today. I can sit up here and preach on that, all right? But instead I get to talk about fear again. And, and that's, that's what God put me here for, okay? Two and a half years ago, 11.45 p.m. On a, on a Wednesday night, I think it was, I get a phone call. My girls are uh, uh, both college students at the time. They're house-sitting for my mom, uh, a couple blocks away from where we live. And I get a phone call. My daughter is frantic on the phone. And the only words I could really make out were shooting and borderline, okay? It, it was college night over at the borderline. As a college football coach, right, I, I don't coach a bunch of choir boys, okay? And, and so I knew we had a group of 12, 15 guys who typically spent their Wednesday nights dancing, all right? And so I get on the phone, I start calling my coaching staff, and I said, listen, I want, to, I want each of you to call your position group, right? So each coach has got about 10 guys they're responsible for. You call these guys, I want you to talk to them. I don't want to text, I don't want a message. I want you to hear their voice, we got to account for every single one of these kids. That started a little after midnight or around midnight. Um, so all through the night, we're calling. We're trying to find these guys. 6.45 a.m., we find our last guy. He was good friends with, with, uh, with a couple of the, of the victims over there. And he spent every Wednesday night at the borderline. And, you know, going through that fear, that anxiety, and trying to control my thoughts, I'm looking at the news, and I'm, I'm seeing the reports that are coming in o- overnight. Um, my mind was going to a bad place. 6.45, we found him. He said, what's everybody calling me for? I've been studying right a test tomorrow. Right? He didn't know. Right? And we were the ones that broke the news to him. And he actually lost a dear friend in that deal. And the reason I share that, you know, I know a lot of people in our community, in our church community, were affected by that. And they were, or they were affected by the incident in Las Vegas or, or other traumatic events in your life. And what I realized at that point, as I started looking at our community, I realized the fear. Fear had crept into that space. Fear was tangible. I looked at how kids walked around a college campus, how they carried themselves, how they congregated. They were scared. Right? And since that time, fear has been following me around. Not because I'm scared of anything, but I keep getting asked to talk about fear. I'm like, what qualify? I'm not a psychologist. I, I'm a locker room psychologist, right? I got a big couch in my office where kids come in and they spill their guts and they talk and they share, but I'm not a psychologist. I'm not qualified to speak on fear. And the first time it happened, I, I, spoke at the, I spoke at the school at CLU. There was a speaker series and it was entitled Fear Not. Now, the way I was raised, you go to chapel, it's time to preach. Okay, a little bit different over there, all right? But, you know, I, I got it, they gave me a lot of leeway. You know, the only thing they wanted to do is see my sermon notes because they knew my background being raised in uh, evangelical churches and they were a little leery of, of me getting up there and getting too fired up. So I did whatever, you know, a rookie preacher would do. I, I quoted Metallica lyrics, okay? <laughs> I told some stories about my, about my girls being scared of the dark when they were little and I shared a Bible verse that... that my dad had shared with our family. So that was my first fear talk. Fast forward a few weeks ago, I'm speaking again. 
group of young adults, many of whom attend our church here, um, got an opportunity to speak on fear and how fear is a liar. And I looked at, you know, the, the window between those two incidents, between that, that horrific shooting that night when I recognized tangible fear in our community and where we're at in 2021. There's been a lot that's happened in that space. There's been a lot of fear that has gripped and overtaken our world in that time. Uh, you know, there, there was this thing called COVID, right, that is out there. And it has our entire planet terrified right now. Look around. Look at the way things have changed. And so I asked God, and then, you know, talked to Jim, wants me to talk about identity theft and the role that fear plays in that. And I'm like, God, what? Another, I got so many other things I'd like to get up there and talk about. Why? So I got quiet, started praying, started reading, started hiking around in the wilderness searching for answers, and, and basically what the Lord said to me was this, I need you to stand in the breach. All right, there is a breach today that, is, that we are allowing and that we are creating as Christians, and I need to plug you in there, right, and to help empower people to fill that breach and to fill that gap, and I need you for that. All right, football has taught me how to stand up for those around me, all right, I when I played, I didn't want to let the guys, I played center. I was the guy that snapped the ball. So I had two guys directly on either side of me, right? I didn't want to let them down. I had a quarterback behind me. I didn't like him very much because he was so cocky and arrogant, right? But my job was to keep my body between him and the defender and protect him. I stood in the breach for that guy as a football player. Um, as a coach, you know, my job is to prepare young men to stand in that breach, Right, and prepare them for that, for that time. That's what I do. Right? I, I, I try to develop strength. And so as I stand up here, I want to help develop Christians to be able to stand in that breach for themselves because you have all the tools. All right, so give me a minute here. I'm going to nerd out on, on some Old Testament history. I'm a history guy. Uh, that's what my degree is. I tell people I have a degree in trivia. Um, but, yeah, if you ever need to go to trivia night and you need a ringer, give me a call. I'm with you. Um, but in ancient warfare, if you looked at a city, most cities had what? They had walls. Why? Well, because there was invasions, right? People would come and attack these cities. And what would they do? They'd knock holes in the wall. Why? Because then that's how their army would get in. Okay, you can fortify a gate a lot stronger than you can fortify a wall. All right? And so when these invaders would come and punch that hole in the wall... You would literally have to fill that breach, that hole, with your forces, right? With what you had. Men would have to stand physically in that breach and keep that thing plugged so that the enemy could not come in and rob and destroy everything. The Bible talks about this quite a bit. Ezekiel 22:30. The Lord is looking for a man to stand in the gap. Heard that a lot. Hear that a lot in Christianity. He says, stand in the gap. Right before him on behalf of the land. Psalm 106, 23. God was going to wipe out the Israelites before they even got started. Whether it was when they were leaving, when they were leaving Egypt, wandering somewhere in the desert, he was ready to, he had it with them. Right? And Moses stood in that gap for the people. And really the ultimate example of standing in the breach, standing in the gap, happened when Jesus Christ 
was crucified and died for you on that cross in the gospel. Matthew 27, Mark 15, Luke 23, John 19 tells the story, a little bit different versions, but it tells the ultimate sacrifice that was paid for you, for the forgiveness of your sins, to fill you with what we're going to talk about here in a minute. So I figured it out, man, that, that was my role. My role is to stand up here and coach you up, okay? I have something to tell you, all right? And, and it's powerful, and it's, it's a playbook. It, it's a way to overcome fear and anxiety that is just gripping our world. So let's talk about this. What are you scared of? Seriously, what are you afraid of? What do you have to be afraid of? If we were gonna take a poll, I would guess spiders and snakes would probably be towards the top of that list, right? Raise your hand. If you hate spiders, you hate snakes, and you're scared of them. All right, at least you're honest. <clears throat> Some people are scared of heights, right? People are, are scared of all sorts of things. If you look, it's great reading. If you ever look at those lists and, and look up all the phobias, right? And there's some crazy ones on there. For me, I have two that, that kind of get me a little irritated and worked up. Number one, I don't like tight spaces. I don't like to be squeezed into something that I might not be able to get out of. It doesn't matter if it's a roller coaster seat that's too, too tight. Um, I don't like small cars. I, it just, I don't like to be boxed in. All right, the other thing is wood chippers. <laughs> I'm scared to death of wood chippers. Right, what I'm talking about are those big, you know, the guy's got the tree service trucks. I got one in my neighborhood. Guy owns a tree service, and he pulls a wood chipper behind, a big yellow wood chipper. All right, I hate those things because I know at some point in time, and if I see it when I'm walking home, I, I will cross the street. I will not walk up behind that, okay, because I know that there's a slight chance that thing turns itself on somehow, all right, that the Earth's gravitational pull will somehow go like that, and I'll get sucked into that thing and punch my ticket to eternity. No thanks. I hate wood chippers. I don't even like to follow them on the freeway, okay? I, I will change lanes. That's how much they bug me, but... I'm being honest with you, right? I'm being vulnerable. That's what they call it. So, you know, Jim and I, we went for a, we went for a, a hike the other day. And we were talking about this sermon and preparing for that. And he said, you know, the thing that keeps resonating in counseling and, and in discussions with everybody is just people are scared. There's a lot of fear and anxiety today. And think, I mean, is that you? Is there something in your life right now that is, that is causing that fear, and that anxiety. Well, guess what? I'm not here to coddle you, okay? I'm not here to tell you, hey, it's okay. You know, you get over it eventually. You know, just keep working through it. We're all works in progress. No, that's not what coaches do. My job as a coach is to help you to go places you won't take yourself, period. All right? My job as a coach is to show you ways to maximize your God-given potential, and to get the best out of you, all right? Sitting around scared and being anxious and using that as a crutch is a sin. It's not what you are designed to do. It's not how you are designed to live in this world, all right? It's, it's like a nose ring that the devil leads you around by, okay? There's a book, there's an author by the name of Napoleon Hill, wrote a book in 1938. Now, Napoleon Hill was sort of a, a motivational speaker, business guru. He wrote a book called Think and Grow Rich. That's probably his most uh, prominent work. 
But he also wrote a book in 1938. This book was so controversial that it was not published until 2011. That's how much truth is in there. Right? They sat on it and nobody would publish it. Finally, his descendants published it for him and got it out there. The name of the book is called Outwitting the Devil. Right? It's a great book. I hear the audio book is unbelievable. The book is an interview between a human and Satan. I've actually got a buddy who's an actor who I would love to see him play the devil in this thing sometime because I could just see him in a black suit and a red tie or like a red silk shirt unbuttoned down a couple buttons. And the only person I know that's capable of giving this interview is Oprah, right? She's the only one that could get an interview with Satan. So I can see Oprah talking with the devil, right? And so in this book, the interviewer asks this question, how do you gain control of people's minds? And the devil kind of laughs, because that's easy. I merely move in and occupy the unused space of the human brain. I sow the seed of negative thought in the minds of people so I can occupy and control that space. So Oprah wants more details, right? She says, hey, devil, what's your cleverest trick? How do you achieve this objective? He gives a simple answer. My cleverest device for mind control is fear. That's like the mic drop, right? He drops it, he walks off, turns around because I'm coming for you. Right, he's out of there. Fear today manifests itself in so many ways. Anxiety, negativity, depression, hopelessness, isolation, addiction, suicide. All byproducts of fear. These things are fed by the news. They're fed by social media. They're fed by popular culture. They're taught in our classrooms. Fear is propagated from pre-K through graduate school. It's everywhere. My job, like I said, is to prepare you for the fight, prepare you for the game. All right? God designed you very specifically. 2 Timothy 1.7, For God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. You're not hardwired to live scared. You're hardwired for power, love, and a sound mind. The only thing that you're hardwired to be scared of are predators. And we'll talk about how the brain was, was designed and how God designed our brain. All right, and last time I checked, we're the apex predator of the Caneo Valley, right? Unless you're scared of bunny rabbits, all right? We're the top dog, and we got to start living like that because that's how we were created. Psalm 134, 19, I will praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works, and that my soul knows very well. You know how you were made. You were not made to live in fear. You weren't created for that purpose. Okay, and like I said, if you study the brain, which that's not one of my hobbies, okay, I'm not a brain surgeon, I'm not a rocket scientist, I'm a football coach, but I do know how to read. 
Um, and I talked about this with the young adult group, but our brains are designed to respond to the optics, okay, and the emotions that we see around us. That's that fight or flight mechanism. It's that response to what our brain tells us we're seeing. When it's go time, right, I start getting warm, right? Right, right now, I'm starting to heat up a little bit. All right, my body is preparing to fight. I'm loose, getting loosened up, I'm ready to go. I'm ready to take on whatever that predator is. All right, we get that way when we get ready to compete. All right, it's called competitive anxiety, it's a good thing. You go to a, a football locker room before a game and there are just guys going in and out of the restroom. Boom, 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 right? That, that's the way our body works. We get excited, we get ready to go. Right? That's why when you take your kids to Disneyland the first time, you got to pull over and use the restroom 17 times. Right? Yeah, they're excited. They're ready to go. And that's the way we're created. All right? But one thing that, that's neglected in this threat perception and how we process the optics and what's going on is the fact that God has put something in there, a mechanism that allows us to control our response. He wired us with control. We can respond to perceived threats however we choose. You have a choice in that. Spirit of power, spirit of love, and of sound mind. That's what you're wired with. It doesn't say anything about fear. It doesn't say anything about living scared. Okay, and, and for all of us, you know, we're probably guilty of living with love, power, and a sound mind at certain times and selectively, right? Rarely do we live with all three of those things in one accord, all three of those things working together. Fear is not of God, period. Open your Bible. Where does it tell you, okay, it tells you in the Old Testament a lot, to have fear of God, and that's healthy, that's reverent. You're supposed to fear God. He created the universe. He's in control. He is all-knowing, all-loving, all-powerful. I, I fear that because of its awesomeness. But he doesn't once, through anybody that authored a book in the Bible, tell you to live scared. What does the Bible say? Fear not, be not afraid. Let not your heart be troubled. I got you. That's what my Bible says. That's how my Bible tells me to live. It says 300, well, they claim 365 times, right? Come on, man. <laughs> One for every day. Fear not. There's 365 fear nots on Pinterest. No, but, you know, maybe it is. Maybe there is one for every day. Maybe he is just sending us a, sending us a message every day. Fear not. I didn't create you to be scared, right? Fear is conditioned. Fear is, is thrown at you. You realize that? You realize how you're being conditioned and played by the devil right now? Sounds a lot like that, that Napoleon Hill book, doesn't it? Look at it. I mean, why are, you, why are kids scared of the dark? Because somebody walks in and says, you need this nightlight. They wouldn't be scared of the dark if they didn't know about nightlights. Right? Why are you scared of spiders? Well, I saw somebody react that way. 
Why are you scared of that person who looks different than you? Why? Well, that's because that's how I was told to act that way. Right? We're conditioned for those fears. We're conditioned to be scared. Jesus had a friend. His name was Peter. Okay, and as, as Pastor Jim likes to say, they were bros. Think about it. And really think about Peter as a man. Anybody ever watch the Chosen series? I, I love that series just because it brings some humanity to the gospel. And so I think of Peter and Jesus, man, they, they put some miles on together. They walked up and down Palestine there. They broke bread. They witnessed miracles. Uh, they had friends die. They drank wine together. They did all this stuff, man. They, they lived life together. And Peter knew Jesus not just as his Lord and Savior. He knew him as his, as his homie, right? That was his guy. They knew each other. And so as Peter, and Peter failed. Peter denied Christ not once, twice. He denied him three times. And guess what? Jesus forgave him. And they moved on through life, through hard times. He moved on when Jesus was dead and spread the gospel. And towards the end of his life, he wrote a, wrote a passage in 1 Peter 5, 7. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. That's pretty simple, but you think about what Peter knew and how he knew Jesus and what he was capable of and what he is capable of, of doing for you, give it to him. Give it to him. That, that came from his personal, that's like reading a diary. That's his personal experience. Give that anxiety to Jesus. He'll take care of you. He died on the cross and built that wall of protection around you for your eternal salvation. But yet we allow cracks, we allow breaches, we allow gaps in our life. In coaching, we talk about, you know, you're either coaching it or allowing it to happen. Same thing applies to fear, man. You're either feeding it or you're allowing it. Right? That's on you. But guess what? God has not given me a spirit of fear, but of love, power, sound mind. In football, we talk a lot about, you know, where are your eyes? Where are your eyes? Keep your eyes right. Um, what that means is this. There, there's two guys on the field. If you watch those guys... As a defensive player, you can figure out where the ball is going 97, 99% of the time. All right? The problem is most people's eyes are wrong. What are they doing? They're, when you watch a football game, you're not keying guard to back. Right? When you watch a football game, you are watching the football and where that football is going. And then, ooh, look at all the people in the crowd. Look at the pretty cheerleader. Look at the light. Look at this. Isn't that? There's a lot of distractions in a football game. But if you keep your eyes right where they're supposed to be, you'll know exactly where to go. Same thing with, with our spiritual walk, right? What are you filling it with? Where are your eyes? Proverbs 4, 25 through 27. Let your eyes look straight ahead and your eyelids look right before you. It's kind of hard to separate your eyes from your eyelids, but I learned that with horses, this is possible. So maybe this is a horse reference. I learned that in the first service. Uh, <laughs> With a horse, if his ears point somewhere, that means that he caused something in his periphery and there's movement over there. That's what I learned in first service. Ponder the path of your feet and let all your ways be established. Do not turn to the right or the left. Remove your foot from evil. Your fear and your anxiety is a response to what you are seeing. It is that fight or flight mechanism to the optic to what you are seeing. All right, it takes discipline to take Satan out of that space, that unused space that Napoleon Hill wrote about. 
that we're filling with the news, that we fill with social media, that we fill with comparison culture, that we fill with fear and anxiety and doubt and worry. All right, it takes discipline. How? Get into the word of God. Pray, develop a real relationship. Get quiet, shut your mouth, shut your mind, and just wait and praise. I'm not talking about five minutes on the pray app, five minutes on the Bible app, and I start reading, and oh, there's a text, okay, oh, I gotta check my calendar, there's an alert. I'm talking about getting a real Bible with a cover and actual words and diving into that thing. And then I'm talking about getting up early in the morning and praying and devoting that time to prayer and being quiet. And if distractions come up, you gotta go somewhere and find that quiet because that's when the Lord speaks. That's when the Lord works. And that's where you're filled up and empowered in those times. If your eyes are there, if you turn off the news, if you disconnect from the phone, right, that's where you're gonna find God and he's gonna find you and he's gonna help you live to your potential. There's nothing worse in coaching than a talented player with all the God-given ability in the world Length, speed, toughness, all these things, but he doesn't go to class. He doesn't go to the weight room. He skips practice. He doesn't know his playbook. How do you think God feels looking at us? He's given us love, power, sound mind. He's given us everything we need to perform at the highest level, yet we don't reach our potential. It's time as Christians and as a church that we start playing to our potential and that you let go of those things that are holding you back and you start working towards your potential because that's what you were created for. We talk all the time. You know, John Wooden said, practice doesn't make perfect. Perfect practice makes perfect. Get into the word, pray, get quiet, get a disciplined routine and start working the right way. That's what it takes, right? Um, <laughs> thanks, bro. I'm, I'm able to have more compassion on this subject for non-believers than I am for Christians, right? As Christians today, and this is a whole other, if you want to get into this topic someday, I'd, I'd love to come back. But, um, you know, too many times we're coddled right? As Christians, it's going to be okay. This just takes time. We're working it out. To me, I think that's another tool of the devil. I really do. Why? Because what my Bible tells me is that when Jesus and the gospels walked around and there were miracles performed and he healed people, they believed. They're crawling in there. They're reaching for the robe as he goes by, right? And he knew, hey, just had some power taken out. Somebody got healed. What? Your faith has healed you. You have the same power. You have the ability to have the same faith. It's a choice. You're making bad choices. Your eyes are in the wrong place. Okay? There's no partial miracle in the Bible that I'm aware of. Right? They were healed. They were set free. And then they wanted to follow him. And what did he say? No, you're not following me. You go that way. I'm going this way. You go that way and tell them what I've done for you. Because there's more people that need to hear this message. You let go of that fear, you get healed, you truly submit to him, right? And then you take it to the street. You take it to your family. You take it to Thanksgiving. I don't care, right? But Jesus has the power to remove that fear and that anxiety from you, 
right? Romans 8, 11. Same spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead is in me, man. You have that power. You have that power. You have a spirit of love, power, and a sound mind. Jesus will make your anxiety and take it and throw it away. But the problem is, a lot of times we come to him and we say, Lord, here's some of my baggage. Forgive me for these sins, but let me hold on to this fear and this anxiety because it's such a part of my identity. I like it when people come up to me and, oh, we're praying for you. You're going to be okay. You're going to work through it. No, be healed. Go. Quit being scared. Getting fired up now. James 4, 7, two-part action plan. This is our playbook. Submit and resist. Submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee. That's all it takes. Submission. What is submission? You guys watch MMA, right? Submission. All right, God, you got me. I'm out. All right, you're giving him everything. Surrender is submission. Resist. Whoo. That's the devil. How do I resist? Well, they do this in the movies, or I get a silver cross, or garlic necklace, or whatever it is, right? No, we resist the devil by what I talked about, by training, by preparing. The Bible doesn't talk about if bad things happen, if the devil comes for you. What? It says when. You are in a war, like Jim was talking about. We are at war. Satan comes like a lion, How do we resist the word of God? Prayer. We get quiet. We fellowship. We lean on each other. That sounds a lot like a football team. Wow, what a novel concept. Last thing. Ephesians 6. Full armor of God. Right? We've all read it. Those of you that grew up in Sunday school probably remember the felt board, right? And you take the the little armor of God, and you put it on the little Christian guy, and next thing you know, he's got a breastplate, and he's got a sword, and he's got a shield, and he's got a helmet. Verse 17, what's the helmet represent? This is the helmet of what? Helmet of salvation. You've been to three services already. You know the answer, all right? The helmet of salvation. So what does the helmet protect? All you scared moms out there, it protects the head. All right, concussions. Everybody wants to talk about concussions. Game's never been safer. All right. The helmet protects the head. What's inside the head? The brain. What does the brain control? The brain controls your thoughts. So if you think about it in those terms, you look at the rules were a little different in 1992. This was a weapon. All right. I also like that it has a no fear sticker on the back of it. That's kind of cool, man. God put that on there in 1992. but this protection, I put this on. I, seriously, I would have no problem running through that window. If Jim gave me permission, I would stick my head through that window if I had my helmet on. I've done worse, okay? But this helmet, our salvation, it protects our head. When your eyes are right, when you're focused on the right things, you are powerful, you are loving, and you have a sound mind. Salvation gives you those things, right? You just have to accept it. So let's pray together here as we wrap it up. Maybe you're one of those people that just has not accepted Jesus into your life and and 
given him your sins and haven't submitted to him. And he looked at today and he said, man, submission, that's that first step towards healing. Or maybe you're someone that comes to church on Sundays and you're a Sunday Christian and you don't give everything to him. You just give him bits and pieces because you have an identity to protect. Well, Satan's coming for your identity. And so I just ask you, we're gonna pray together. We're gonna, we're gonna lump us all into one big group of sinners here. And we're gonna pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, we give you all of our fears, all of our sin, all of our anxiety, our angst, our worry. We put it all at the foot of the cross because we know that you won this victory at Calvary on that cross for us and you resurrected and you defeated death, hell, the grave, fear, anxiety, anything else we can make up or be conditioned for. You've already beaten it, Lord. We just need to submit to you and resist the devil because greater are you who is in us than he that is in this world. Lord, I thank you for these people. I thank you for these hearts. Lord, I pray for healing. I pray for confidence. I pray for power. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for tuning in today to another great message from Atmosphere Church. If this message has spoken to your heart, would you take a moment and share it with your friends? You can connect with us on Spotify, iTunes Podcast, YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram. Simply do a search for Atmosphere Church through these various platforms and then click the follow or subscribe buttons. It's another great way for us to be able to stay connected with you. If you live in the Southern California area, we would love to invite you to be a part of our family. For more information about our church, go to our official website at atmosphere.church. Finally, if this service and our other resources bless you, would you consider giving back to Atmosphere Church to support not just these things, but to also support the creation of even more resources for you? To make a donation, simply go to our website and click the link that says Give. Your gift of any amount is greatly appreciated. Until next time, we pray you will keep the faith, spread the hope, and live the love.